This is part two of a two-part podcast. Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Have you seen the new video of Wheaton Labs? It is permaculture awesomeness with all new and improved things like more rocket mass heaters, easy bake coffin, Willy Wonka, rocket cooktop 2.0, and the truly passive greenhouse. To see more, go to permies.com slash tour. Again, that is permies.com slash tour. That sounds delightful. I mean, <clears throat> here's... Here's a big thing. Here's where I'm kind of trying to go is that Mud and I and Ernie and Erica and so many other people in the rocket mass heater world have been trying to tell people about this for decades. And it has been frustrating that uh, the – Can you repeat that? You cut out there. At least I heard you cutting out. Oh, I'm – Likewise. Ernie and Erica did what? Well, for the last several decades, uh, myself and Uncle Mud and Ernie and Erica and many, many, many other rocket mass heater people mm-hmm. have been trying to tell people about this, this, uh, this amazing thing about the rocket mass heater. And, um, we are struggling to get traction on it. And so. I think it's going to get traction on it in the pottery world. I'm not going to lie. Oh, exactly. Exactly my point. And, and it's kind of like, uh, uh, because there's a metric. There's, there's a, a, a metric here that most people don't see. And I think, I think it's going to be the pottery world. And then I think the next one is going to be the blacksmithing world. Yeah. Because probably. it's a very similar thing. And, uh, so basically the, the metric here is dollars. Just, just straight up dollars. Dollars and accessibility. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the ability to set up. So, uh, uh, with, you know, with, with electric high fire, hundred dollars. And then with the, the rocket kiln, something between zero and three dollars, depending on how much money you want to spend. And suddenly, mm-hmm. uh, all of the ceramic stuff comes comes back to being easy and delightful and stuff like that. Now, I want to I want to explore a slightly different path for just a moment. Well, it's so profound. It's such an enormous leap and it's like I just kind of want to somehow find a very tall place like the volcano and shout out who nobody will hear me. See, I told you so. <laughs> that's that's kind of where I'm at. But mud a conference for that. Mud, uh, uh, yeah. for the J-tube. So, so of course the, the, um, the used, the, the dead kiln that was donated to us, uh, let's, mm-hmm. let's say the cost of that is, is zero. But let's mm-hmm. just set that aside. We'll put it over here. And now there's the J-tube. We made this two-part J-tube. Um, what do you think was the cost of materials for that? So I'm, I'm going to give you two answers. The the, the really nice J2. Uh, we, we put a thousand dollars into that uh, with all the ceramic board and uh, steel to surround it, and uh, uh, the sheet metal and the um, fire brick, uh, and the ceramic uh, or the uh, fire brick core, and so forth. Yeah, that that was a thousand dollars, and uh, I was going to say it's closer to like 600, but yeah, 
That's oh, ceramic wood is expensive. It is very expensive. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. the guy that paid for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then, uh, then some some of the stuff we're finding that was uh, that it was it was six hundred bucks. Yeah, it was six hundred bucks because I I got a deal on it and drove it all the way from Ohio because we couldn't get it uh, uh, otherwise in the time frame we needed or for, for anywhere close to the price point. It's uh, it's like it's some of the stuff is becoming harder and harder to get mm-hmm. um, all the Summers time. Don't usually buy that stuff. It's too it's expensive and rare. You n- you never see it. What we did find though was that and we've only basically touched the surface of this is that uh you and i paul had been talking about gee this stuff is expensive what if we surround this with sand and we tried that with the red shed red cabin and we uh and, and we've done this elsewhere to say well what can we do that's easily accessible so we bought a uh stock tank um from uh, a farm supply company, uh, a four foot by uh, two foot by uh, two foot is what we've settled on is that we really like and fill that sucker with sand around a very basic uh, uh, eight inch um, J tube. Uh, so we're not trying. You got to cob the seams. We have to cob the seams though. Yep. Yep. The key yeah. is is that um, I think a cob and sand version that yeah. we that's a permanent installation and the kiln is embedded inside of it. Uh, and, I mean, and we have a way the of getting in and out of it. The kiln sits on top of it perfectly. So, yeah, um, a cob and sand version might be a hundred and fifty bucks at the most. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, for what we made here. As, uh, well, for what we made here, the J tube that was used here at the PPJ that'll be in the movie, a, a thousand dollars, possibly less. Um, and then, uh, now, okay, so I'm going to say a thousand dollars, J tube, just to do the J tube with the, the, uh, the broken kiln, thousand dollars. All right. Uh, Lisa. Mm-hmm. That kiln that we have here, what do you think it costs brand new? Like the one that we have that's broken and doesn't three thousand dollars. So, um, and then on top of that, in order for it to work, it needs two twenty power. Yeah, and and that might require a little extra wiring or something like that. So, the this is kind of where I'm going is to say like. Not only did we make it so that the cost per burn is something between nothing and $3, but also the cost of the kiln went from something like uh, $3,000 down to $1,000. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, uh, and it, and it sounds to me like the reaction of the ceramics world already is very strong, positive. Very enthusiastic, very exciting. A lot of really doubt. Curious. Very curious. Very you know? curious. That's and a, good and a lot of people are are. I mean, I've got I've got all these people like buying bricks or gathering bricks and starting to build. And anyway, go ahead. <laughs> and and uh, probably a fair bit of skepticism, but 
basically, I think what, what I hear you saying is that over the next few months to the next year, the whole ceramics industry is probably going to transform dramatically. Because I don't know about that, but there, but it's gonna, it's definitely gonna be a great addition to the, to the pool. Okay. All right. And so um, we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'm kind of curious, like 10 years from now, go, go ahead and, 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 uh, make something up, whatever you think is about right. Uh, 10 years from now, what percentage of ceramicists will be using a, a rocket kiln? And just have it, have it as like a sideline thing. I mean, at least, I don't know. I don't know. I None would say know. a lot of people. I don't know. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's what it's good for. Like if you have an art center, you know, and somebody's like got something experimental, like you for sure would want one as like your experimental outside kiln. Like, oh, I'm going to fire reduction lusters or something, you know, something that you don't want to do inside a building because chemicals in buildings, not good. But, um, and you know, and just tons of people will probably want one for their driveway. I, you know, I don't know. Have, so I'm going to take that a step further. Yeah. Um, when I go to Jamaica to build mud houses in the mountains, there's piles of uh, there's no trash service, so there's piles of plastic bottles by the side of the road where people chuck them. And every once in a while, somebody gets so tired of the piles of plastic bottles that they light it on fire. And there's this black, sickening plastic fire smoke draped all over town, and everybody gets sick for a week. Um, and um, it's not ideal... But nothing in this world is ideal. Um, I'm seeing that uh, <laughs> you could fire a kiln with trash and have it be less awful by a lar- large margin than uh, what's just done with trash now. And uh, plastic trash, uh, carbon trash, um, and... And I see this being something that's going to happen, especially as as, as uh, um, uh, energy markets get more and more unreasonable. Well, there's that, and there's also like I mean, I studied in Eastern Europe, and every and they were doing low fire wood fire there with uh, scraps of you know scraps of wood with kilns kind of made out of cement blocks or rocks smeared with clay. Um, you know, it's very, it was very low fire, very smoky. Um, people had to share kilns and it was, you know, it's a little bit of an inconvenience. Um, I know in Mexico there is, uh, there's a Cusacabe style, uh, wood kiln, which I think I shared the plans for on the, um, Permis site. Anyway, and it's a, it's a much larger kiln. Again, and I'm not saying cooperation is bad. Cooperation with people is great. Convenience is also nice, you know, which is like, oh, gosh, I kind of want to fire tomorrow myself. I don't want to, like, get on a schedule and get a whole bunch of people together and, and fire, um, you know, the whole kiln and make sure we've got, like, a ton of, like, a quarter or two of wood to to fire this thing. So that's what's happening in Mexico is they're trying to build large 
village size group kilns uh where that are huge and everybody brings their stuff they all fire together at once i'm sure it's a great time but there are um also in mexico there's a lot of tiny wood kilns but they smoke everybody out you know and their asthma levels are very very high and so i can see like once the plans for this get out and about in in other countries in um when i was in brazil people were like oh wow you know i would love to they've got lots of wood in brazil and um the i teaching at a conference there was a lot of interest in you know your own unique personal small wood kiln that fired oxidation you we have i've fired mine reduction here um so smoky on purpose to get a certain certain glaze effects and um so it's kind of fantastic and flexible for like all over the world applications like you're saying mud all right i yes, i, yes. I uh, go ahead mud <clears throat> yeah yeah i mean <laughs> this is kind of going backward into uh even suburban United States, the, 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 just there's, you know, things become so locked up in expectation that uh, you can't do anything. And at some point people say, you know what, you know, I'm just going to do this. And if it, and whether it's a bucket composting toilet that doesn't bug anybody because it doesn't smell, but it makes your garden go nuts and cuts your water bill up 40% or whether it's a, a kiln that lets you fire, uh, your own pottery, um, that you couldn't it's afford to batches. do otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These, these are these small batch things. I mean, pretty soon I think solar, if you want the great American lifestyle, solar is going to cost you $60,000. But if you are perfectly happy with a few LED lights and a, and a small, uh, water pump and a, and a, a computer tablet uh, and a cell phone to charge. Um, you can do that for for a few hundred or a few thousand dollars. And this this uh and and this kiln is just that sort of a thing. And the rocket heater, you know, Paul with that in, uh, that infographic we've been working on for the book on rocket heaters. Um, the infrastructure for quote unquote clean heat. Um, is is uh astronomical for you know the the connections you have to make to have a mini split it's a convenient lovely thing that you look at and say well that's clean but the infrastructure for it stretches from here to china and uh every piece of it uh broke something someplace else whereas uh um if we're building a, a sand rocket, whether it's for kiln firing or for uh, keeping your house warm, um, and we're doing the you know, stuff that Alan was talking about with uh, um, you growing your your uh, wood right there, or uh, if we're using industrial waste wood instead of putting it in a landfill, um, that snips that uh, that supply chain that's been problematic and frees up. Those, it unclogs the supply chain for other things that you know that we need to live, like chocolate and coffee. <laughs> so, 
there's there's lots 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 more to to be said for the, about this kiln. It's I I think I mean there was also the other kiln design, but uh, we kind of talked about that already. Um, and then and then there's more to be said about the uh, a few of the things that you guys have, have dabbled with since then, um, and of course the upcoming event where it's all going to be demonstrated. The the big thing is is that uh, to focus on the PTJ. That was a few months ago. Um, this was the big showpiece because it's like we came up with another way to prove that this rocket stuff is, um, profound. And, and it's like it's, and so many people seem to be reluctant to, to understand it or, uh, uh, appreciate it. And so, to have another metric to me is very powerful is very good and i'm and i'm glad that that we uh, achieved such greatness and that it's going to make a big difference in the ceramics world um so i hope so i think so i think all, it will all right i i think a fun thing to talk about next is uh how lisa you you went and you found clay on the land and you used that clay for Ceramics. Now, I, my my impression is is that most land where they believe they have clay, they actually have silt, and silt won't really do anything for you. No, wild clay is. There's a big wild clay movement right now. Um, there's some some. Uh, it's it's really taken hold because wild wild clay is a lot more expressive than the basically byproducts of manufacturing of the manufacturing industry that most of us use because um, when we go to the clay store and we like if we have a, a classroom or something and we want to buy bags of clay it's it's all these byproducts of industry they're being blended together into a clay body um and so what you're talking about is wild clay is it's kind of everywhere it de- it's not actually everywhere there might there's tons <laughs> of silt um but there there are some some really neat wild clays that are out there there's a lot in North Carolina and um and there's a whole bunch um being done in Montana as well at, and all over the country. Potters really 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 love the expression of wild clay. Okay, so I can you talk for just a moment about the I guess domestic clay and and what what is in it? Uh you mean like what is the clay molecule or no what i mean is is it sounded like it's an undesirable clay because oh oh oh, you have low fire clay you have terracotta on on wheaton clay is uh is terracotta so it's greenish gray right or Mm -hmm. whitish gray anyway um and uh and it fires like a brick color Right. And so, and so that's low fire. Cause when we, when we got it too hot, like in the overkiln, we got it, it started to boil. It, in other words, it's like an Albany slip. Like it would also be a glaze probably at high fire. Actually, I think we fired it to glaze and it makes a, like a brown, like a brown, uh, clay, glaze, your clay. I believe we have. Four different kinds of clay here, and I oh. think the next time you're here, we need to we need to take you on a tour of our clay. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you oh. found so one of the clays. Did you one get it from? 
the the first clay that we ever found was at what we ended up calling the clay pit because we thought, well, this is this is our clay right here, and then it we was kept a clay pit. Yeah, yeah, we kept finding other clay in other places, and uh, and then when Erica was here, she said she didn't like the clay in the clay pit very much, and she preferred the clay from uh, Cat Pond. And, uh, uh, it's a different, uh, uh, she thought it was a better kind of clay for making cob. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but, uh, uh, so yeah, we're going to have to go refine these little, these little pits of clay, these little bits of clay that we have in different okay. places. Yeah. But, so the one clay that you, you have, uh, fired to, uh, a terracotta color yep. and, uh, started off as kind of a grayish color. Um, and it was, it's a, it's a great low fire clay, but, but the question I have is you said a thing that kind of sent a chill down my spine and, and I want to, and so you said something about like when you go to the the store and buy clay that to, to Mm -hmm. use for ceramics, they've added something to it. Have you ever wondered whether a particular book was really good or just so-so, and if you could trust the reviews online? When it comes to books related to permaculture, Permies has a large list of reviews for over 100 books. Perhaps you're considering a book for yourself or a friend, or you're just curious about what's out there. Stop by permies.com forward slash book and take a look at the book review grid and read some honest reviews, and hopefully you'll find the next book to add to your collection. Yes, they've made it. It's not just plain clay. It's a clay body. So a clay body has additions to it to give it characteristics that you might find desirable or that a school teacher might find desirable with, you know, with the clay that her kids use. You know, maybe it'll or their kids, his kids, um, different. Uh, it, it'll give it certain color characteristics, certain um, firing temperature characteristics. Um, it just depends. Your clay is is fine you know like it's a good brick clay like you could start a very small brick company i don't know how how much <laughs> you have okay uh, i i i could uh i could I, if i had if i had little pigs one of mm-hmm. them would be convinced to build a brick home that's and, right uh, and this is the material mm-hmm. he would use when we yeah. talk about the com- the uh commercial clays are they are we talking about um Chemical poop storm uh, additives, or, or are we talking no. about they just blend a bunch of different things together that never occurred in nature in the same space, but you mix them all together and you get something that yes. has desirable commu- uh, things, but it was a heavily processed material. So it's very heavily processed, so I will give you that. that like uh, Usually it's ground to a very fine mesh like... Um, 200 mesh or 400 mesh or something like that. So it'll pass through a very, very, very fine sieve. And basically it is the byproduct of industry. Industry uses, for example, kaolin clay, white clay in newspaper. So when you burn newspaper in your rocket stove, you get like white stuff and that's clay. Um, and like the, so the clay, when I go and buy a bag of kaolin at the clay store, and I need to put it in my glaze because when I do, if I put a small amount, it adheres my glaze, my glass materials to the side. It sticks them to the sides of my 
cups that I'm glazing before I heat it up. You know, it, it has, it has the properties that chemistry, uh, the chemical industry finds useful rather than me, the expressive artist find useful. Um, is there wild kale in somewhere? I don't know if there is here in Massachusetts. Um, I know there is in Georgia. There's Georgia kaolin and there's, uh, Edgar's plastic kaolin, EPK. It's in Florida, I think. Um, but it's mine for industry. So they mix in like feldspar and some silica, maybe, uh, maybe some whiting, some calcium carbonate. They'll mix in some bentonite usually to make it sticky. Um, but usually there's not that much, at least in my clay, there's not that much clay in my clay, like 40%. Does, what happens with bentonite if you try to – I mean, I imagine you can't make anything out of bentonite in a kiln. Not much. It's sort of like – you know, it's drilling mud. It's like it's like snot. It's kind of <laughs> super slippery. Um, we just add a very amount, like 2% in our glaze and our clay to add stickiness. Okay. All right. But okay, we, so – I think what Mud's getting at, and that was, and what Mud was saying was exactly my concern. In a way, it's an industrial waste because there are industries that took clay and they took out the parts that they want and they kind of, and then it's like, here's the clay that's left over that we'll sell to children to make their clay projects. And to potters who are mixing or, you know, industry that is making bagged clay so that people can make their cute art objects and sell them on Etsy. Okay. And um, hobby, hobby clay. All right. Hobby clay. Uh, mm-hmm. And and then they might mix some other things into it to get certain attributes. Yep. And and it's like, so it's it's nothing – it, even though it's 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 thought of from that particular industry as an industrial waste, it's like totally fine. It's it's a it's a very pure industrial waste. It's yep. yeah, it's it's perfectly fine because of course in the world of concrete they they actually have toxic industrial waste that they get rid of oh. by mixing it into the uh, concrete. But oh, that's no. that's no. another story for another day. And it's not here. That 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 awfulness is not here. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. Okay. Great. Lovely. Lovely. All right. Um, <clears throat> do you want to know how your clay? Do you want me to say how your clay was processed in not very many words? Sure. Okay. So we took shovels and buckets, and we went and uh, found uh, the clay that didn't have as many sticks and rocks in it and we put it in the buckets and then we spread it out on tarps and we walked on it. I spread it in a sunny place and instructed people to please walk on that and crunch it up into powder. So we had clay chunks on tarps that turned to dry powder, dry-ish powder, and that took a couple of days or one day or something. We tried to do it really fast. And then um and then we put it in a uh back into the clay buckets or sorry the like Home Depot buckets and um put water in it and blunged it. So that means we drilled it kind of like with a cement mixer drill kind of blender thing. Right. And um and then we took that blunged mixed mixer and uh, mixture and we poured it through kind of like a house screen uh just to get out you know rocks and chunks and 
you know, sticks, little leaves, that kind of stuff, poured it through there into a wheelbarrow. And then, uh, in the wheel, then, uh, my friend Chris Alvashir brought a nice big plaster mat made out of just plain pottery plaster. So it's pottery plaster's job is to suck water away of, from clay. And so we poured that glop onto that bat. We call those bats, the flat things, plaster bat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it sucked the water away pretty fast on the edges and within a few hours on the whole thing. And, uh, then we were able to knead the clay and, um, and then able to pinch or roll or, sculpt little things and then we let them dry i dried the objects as fast as i could so there would be no physical water in the objects i tried to dry them on um on some i don't know either in the sun or on some kind of rocket thingy that you have firing around there you didn't put it in a solar food dehydrator mm -mm. okay no we put them in the that was done Oh yeah, we did do that. We put them in the pizza oven. Yeah. Cause I could control that and it had kind of like a pyrometer on it. Uh, it had a little thermometer thingy. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we did that and I held that thing. I got it up to 500 degrees slowly over quite a few hours so that when we put them in the kiln, if the, if we had it way too hot too fast, which is kind of typical for a rocket kiln that we're, that we're trying to rush and fire fast. Uh, that things would not blow up. And so we, we had success with that. Anyway, so yeah, there, that's processing in a nutshell. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, that's everything on my list that I wanted to talk about. So Lisa and Mud, do you have anything else you want to add to this little podcast? Lisa, let's talk about, um, what we're going to show off a little bit, let's talk about that, the Enseca conference, what we're going to show off. And then let's talk about just, just for a second about what our next experiment will be, um, after that. Okay. So tell me, why don't you start with, with, uh, so March, March 15th, and SICA stands for uh, National Council for Ceramic uh, for Education and Ceramic Arts, I guess, and NCECA. Um, and so that's the big ceramics conference. It usually attracts around 5,000 uh, attendees. Um, it's a whole bunch of lectures at a conference center, you know, standard thing. And um, and then there's a whole lot of satellite like pottery shows and demonstrations all at the art centers and galleries and, um, gosh, any kind of space that can be commandeered to be part of a conference, of the ceramics conference, like a brewery or something, and there'll be like a a tankard show or something like that. Anyway, um, so there is an outfit called Queen City Clay, and it is 15 minutes north of the conference center. It's technically in another town, but... Anyway, it's really close by. Uh, they have five shows going on. So they're going to have a ton of traffic. They're a really busy, um, clay center. And so they teach all levels of classes. They've got, they've got all kinds of kilns. They've got a lot of wood already stored for their regular big old wood kiln. Um, and so, um, they are kindly allowing us to show up with our, our thing that they, they don't understand at all. And, 
they are going to help us. They've secured a 23-inch across uh, that's, I'm talking the interior space. So it's a, basically approximately 24-inch wide uh, old electric kiln shell. It's got a top and a bottom. Um, and we've, uh, I'm trying to decide how should, uh, if we're going to do the typical updraft model like we have been doing, um, where we cut a square in the bottom of the kiln, which is pretty easy to do, and a square in the top, and we just plop a chimney right on the top and have at it. Um, or if we're going to do a downdraft or something else, but, um, probably an updraft is the simplest. And, um, uh, I plan on advertising it far and wide and using my ceramics network. And, um, right now everybody I know is coming to it. So anyway, 10 a.m. St. Patrick's Day. Be there. Aloha. <laughs> oh, Excellent. Well, yeah. And, and so you guys are going to actually fire up, uh, you're, you're going to fire one of these up, fire up a rocket kiln at yep. the conference. Correct. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, uh, and then you guys, are, you, you have some more experimentation you're going to do after the conference. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to keep going on this. And, um, so, so what, what's, what's your next line of, uh, inquiry on this? My uh, line Lisa? of inquiry is, okay, so, um, we don't like brick poop, which is little brick crumbles to fall into our pottery. Um, and, uh, and so, like, if there's a hole that we're cutting with a saber saw or something in the top of a kiln, these kilns are kind of, yes, they, you know how soft bricks are. They, they crumble. And so it's kind of not fun to have crumblies falling into your kiln. So we could, we could mitigate that problem by putting a kiln shelf on top. Um, but then that's kind of another layer in between the, um, the chamber and uh I don't know the the heat riser like maybe the it'll stop right. the flow of the of the gases going up the middle um I don't know I feel like we need to know uh how far into the chamber the uh heat riser goes maybe it just stops at the bottom maybe it comes up on in there I feel like it should come up on in there a little bit um I feel like it's a downdraft uh version would be nice because potters don't want crumbles falling into the top of their kiln. There's also like I have two or three friends who are like, I don't want to use an old electric kiln. I want to build something out of my bricks that I have. And um so maybe so right now what we I have somebody who's um building one that's kind of shaped like a ziggurat, if that makes any sense. It's kind of yeah are kind of scooting in and then the chimney is sitting on top of there. Um, I don't know. You know, there's so, so many options. So here's a thought I, that I have with that is that there was um, somewhere between the Uber kiln where the stratification chamber that we built stratified too much and it got nice and hot in spots, but but it was also way too cold in other spots. Um, the overkiln? The overkiln, yes. yeah. It got hot as hell on top because the there was nothing in the way of the stratification. Is it the stratification chamber, the, the heat riser? Like the heat riser went straight up with all the heat right to the top. Right, right. So so what? somewhere between what 
we've got with the updraft, yeah. which has which has crumble bits problems and and other other uh, things that could be improved for production. Mm-hmm. Somewhere between though that and the uh, the overkiln, um, a uh, a downdraft kiln mm-hmm. um, would be a really nice thing to to uh, to come up with with a easy uh, um, access for loading and unloading uh, yeah. and a fairly consistent um, temperature. Right. The mini fridge door thing is super tempting. I mean, when I first learned pottery in the 80s, we had to brick up our doors all the time. And that was fine. That's a, a good way to go, you know, to build something. And then you don't need one, a top loading kiln that's kind of too high up in the air to, to access easily. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be good. If you were going to use a top loading kiln, um, it's really kind of great if you can find a way not to have to cut a hole in the top of that thing. And to just drive the heat back down, you know, let right. the so if we can... riser, yeah, drive it back down. I did one of those over here, and that was one of the most even firings that I got was just plopping. I didn't cut any holes in anything. I just used uh, two rings of a kiln. So I built a big, wide brick platform kind of up on concrete blocks. And then had had a heat riser and then um, like an exit, you know, an exit flue in the floor that went down and back up. And I got a kind of an even firing, but it was a struggle because it wasn't tall enough. I didn't have a very high heat riser. So I don't know. I'm sorry. I I think that 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 where I want to explore with this is can we make a. A fridge shape mm-hmm. that we can so for ease of unloading and loading yeah. uh, at a height that's at, at countertop height, so that we've got a uh, a decent riser underneath, mm-hmm. and with an insulated well enough that we can make it big enough for production, yeah, uh, and big enough to shove a uh, a piece of a riser in that gets all the way almost all the way up to the top. And then, uh, and then have on the other, on the far corner, a, uh, a riser coming that starts, a, a chimney that starts at the bottom, but is inside of the box. So yeah. that, it's, so that that chimney is tall and, and, and keeps the, the, and sucks the exhaust out of our box. From the coolest part, which is still quite hot, um, uh, it gives us basically um, a stirred-up stratification chamber uh, with the coldest, the coolest gases heading out the exhaust, but doing so at a speed that keeps our that keeps Keep our draft up. going how, how we want it. Okay. I just feel so, like this is going to turn into, um, like there's a whole bunch of different designs for like the high fire, huge cords, huge cords of wood, uh, kilns that are in use currently. There's going to be a bunch of different great designs that we're all going to work on together at the same time. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of what we want. It, yeah. It is, that's exactly what we want. I mean, we want that in the rocket mass heater world as well. Like, you know, 
can we get so many people building these that they come up with, you know, um, uh, dozens of different optimizations that we haven't even contemplated yet? Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I'm pushing so hard, even though it's not perfected, you know, to go ahead and just demonstrate it at this thing and see who shows up and takes it on, you know. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And, and, uh, we've, I've been hoping for that for, you know, since, since 2008. And so, uh, I, I kind of feel like, uh, why, I mean, we are seeing progress. We are seeing innovators. We are seeing stuff happening in the rocket mass here world, but it just seems so incredibly slow. And, um, which is the function of why uh, Mud and I are working on that infographic because it's kind of like when you try to have these conversations with people, you keep getting stuck on on things that are simply not true, and yet people cannot unlock from their personal thing that they're stuck on, and so uh, they they won't proceed, and so that's where we're at. And and uh, and I anyway, all right, the. So we're, we're going to be the people who are too busy doing a thing to argue with the people who are saying it can't be done. That's exactly. what we're going to do. And that's, that's kind of been a lot of it. I mean, for me, uh, I feel like rocket mass heaters solve a lot of global problems. And so yeah. naturally what I wish for is that they would have a thousand times more acceptance than what they've had. And then, you know, we would start to see global impact, positive global impact. And, uh, uh, it's, it's just been weird to me how something else will come out and, and it's not nearly as good as a rocket mass heater, but it gets so, it, it gets so much more attention. How did the whole thing about straws get more attention than rocket mass heaters? And and so the sea turtles are cuter than you. That 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 is fair. That is a fair point. <laughs> but it's done not in the name of how cute I am, but in the name of the environment. And so right, right. I I feel like and then how much money does the average person spend per year on straws, or or like how much is spent on straws for one adult? And I kind of feel like well. With a rocket mass heater, you can save thousands of dollars a year. And, uh, you know, plus it, it does so much more for carbon footprint stuff and cleaning up so much more environmental problems all over the place. And it's, and here we are. So, all right. Um, I think, I think we're ready to wrap up here, folks. You think? Sounds good to me. Yep. If you like this sort of thing. All right. Come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about rocket kilns, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Are you a fan of pie? Where there's pie at permies.com. This pie grants the user of secret access. You also get free things like videos of Wheaton Labs, the ability to add two thumbs up, two posts, and more. To get pie, go to permies.com forward slash pie to get the inside scoop of what pie can do for you. Again, that is permies.com forward slash pie.